Good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. As he said, we are uh, beginning a series that's going to last most of the rest of the year uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, where we're going to just begin at the beginning, end at the end, uh, and navigate and make our way through it. Uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, it was written to a, uh, to a young church uh, in a city uh, that had many parallels to our church and uh, to our city. Their church was about five years old, so not much younger than we are. Their, their city was a major urban center, an economic hub and crossroads uh, of the ancient world. Uh, and as we read Corinthians, as we make our way through it, or if you've ever read Corinthians, it's easy to see. It's easy to read this book, this letter, and to see it as a series or a set of individual teachings on the Christian life. But if we're going to understand it rightly, we have to know this. We have to know that the book of 1 Corinthians is not a set of individual teachings, nor is it a series of teachings for individuals. It's a book about community formation. I'm going to say that again. 1 Corinthians is not a set of individual teachings, nor is it a set of teachings for individuals. It's a book about community formation. And in that sense, it's really a letter that gets to the heart of something all of us wants. All of humanity longs to be a part of a flourishing community, one where individuals' lives are enriched and strengthened, one where uh, the community is strong and tight-knit, one where no matter your economic status, rich or poor, you are welcomed here. It's the kind of community that we all long to be a part of. And today, Paul, the author of this um, letter, he's going to lay a foundation for the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians. And speaking of this kind of community, he's going to say, one, where it comes from, two, what's destroying it in Corinth. Because there was a problem. There was a problem in Corinth, a problem in the church, and that problem is also a problem in our modern Western church and in our modern local sojourn church. But we'll get to that in a minute. For right now, let's get going. Verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ at Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and um, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, th this, this introduction has a lot going on. This is uh, an introduction of Paul's where he's got some kind of similar stuff that he normally does, uh, but he's also got a bit uh, of, of unique uh, language in this introduction. And uh, what I'd like to do is zero us in on one little phrase. Uh, I, I'd like us to just kind of hone in on one little three-word phrase that he gives. Now, because in this little three-word phrase, Paul is going to, I think, define the church for us. It's going to give his understanding of what the church is. It's this little phrase, sanctified in Christ. The word sanctified, it's uh, the verbal form of holy, which means to make holy, to be set apart for God's use, God's purposes. And so he's writing to the church, right, to the church, not, uh, not to the individual Christian living in the city of Corinth, but to the church of God 
in Corinth, what is the church of God? Those that are sanctified, made holy, set apart by God. How, where, in Christ. Now, hang on to that, and we're going to keep reading. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him and all speech and all knowledge. Now, verse 2. Verse 2, made holy, where? In Christ. Verse 4, grace of God, where? In Christ. Verse 5, you are enriched, where? In him, in Christ. Why is this important? Because this is Paul's fundamental understanding of what the church is. His fundamental understanding of the church is that it is a community in Christ. That's how Paul understands the church, community in Christ in Christ, the heart of everything that we have, all that we are, all that we have been, all that we will ever be is the overflow of us being a community in Christ. Your life hidden with God in Christ throughout the scriptures, all that we have, all that we are, all that we will ever be flows from being in Christ. And so what does this little phrase um, in Christ mean? Where did Paul get it? Um, This theologian, Todd Billings, Um, in in this book on communion, actually, but he's got this little section where he's talking about linking communion, the table, and communion, union with Christ. And he, um, and he says this, and I think rightly, he says, Paul's teaching accords with Jesus' teaching in John's gospel, that union with Christ bears fruit in other centered actions. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So here's what um, Todd is doing when he's linking uh, union with Christ, abide in me, the the teachings of Jesus with Paul's uh, language. He's saying that um, Paul's language of union with Christ, being in Christ, is his expression for this abide in me and I in you teaching of Jesus. And this abiding, this union with Christ, being linked to Christ, my life being united to his, flows out into others-centered living just as Christ's life was marked by an others-centered living. And this is going to be something that we repeatedly, repeatedly come back to in the letter of 1 Corinthians. But Paul, in uh, verse 5, he very aware of his culture. Paul, um, when you read the New Testament, you'll find... Uh, the, the New Testament authors, in the language they used, very aware of who they were speaking to, where they were speaking in Corinth, as we uh, read a minute ago, um, unique city, major urban center, uh, non-religious people becoming Christians. He, he uses the term enriched. You are enriched in him. Now, the, the English word enriched really, to be honest, is not the best of translations right here. Um, because when you think of enriched, what, what do you think of? Like, my life was enriched by something, right? Um, so yesterday, I was on a bike ride. We had a fun laugh over Michael Scott's um, the, the Office. Are you all with me? Like, I think my life was enriched by Michael Scott. Um, not I think. I know my life was enriched by Michael Scott. Greatest comedic character of all time. Period. End of report. There is no discussion about that. We all agree. We all agree. Um, that... That's not what's going on here. Like, that's not uh, my life was enriched by somebody. The, the word is literally to make rich. You were made rich in Christ. Why? 
And it's this word that uh, Paul only uses in 1 Corinthians. That's not true. I'm sorry. 1 and 2 Corinthians, but only when writing to Corinth. It's the only place this word is used. Why? Why, why this term? Why, why would Paul um, isolate this one little term, enriched in him, and use it when speaking to uh, the church in Corinth? Well, one, um, urban life then, like today, had significant income gaps. There were significant income gaps in the major urban centers of the day. There are major income gaps today. And Paul, we're going to see in the letter later, in this community in Christ. Hey, Church of God in Corinth. Hey, hey, Church of God at Sojourn. In this community in Christ, rich or poor, you are both welcome to the table. Hey, listen, rich or poor, wherever you're at on that income spectrum, you are not more important to Jesus because of your bank account. You are not less important to Jesus because of your lack of one. And if you are not more or less important to Jesus because of the size of your bank account, you are not more or less important to the community of Christ because of it. The community in Christ, irrespective of where you fall on the pay scale, you both share the same status in him. And then two, why this term, second reason? One, Paul is redefining the rich life for the urban Christians in Corinth. He's redefining the rich life for urban Christians in Corinth, that true wealth, true wealth is found in Christ. You are, we are together saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, secured by Christ. It is not saved by grace, secured by savings. If I could zero in on maybe one thing that I think is, I'm, de- I'm going off script here, so I'm debating for a moment. Um, it, it, sometimes it gets me in trouble. Um, if, I, if, I, if I could zero in on one thing that I think is an actual issue in our little community, it's that functionally many of us believe saved by Christ, secured by money that the future safety that I need, it's going to come through a savings account. I'm not anti-401ks. Uh, I've got the you know, Christian version of one. The nonprofit version of one, I, I should say. <laughs> uh, but my security cannot ever, ever be found in the size of a retirement account. If I believe that I am saved by Christ, secured by money, I am functionally, I am functionally defaulting to another gospel. Christ alone in him, that is where the true, that is where true wealth is found. True wealth is a satisfied soul and that is not something money can buy something found in Christ and Christ alone. And now Paul, he he does something that I think is incredibly pastoral. Verse six, 
even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called in the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me, let me tell you why I think this is so sweet and gentle and kind and pastoral of Paul. We, we have said over and over around here, if you want to understand the Bible, like you want to engage in the Bible, you want to read the Bible, the Bible reads you, like you want that to be, you've got to stop reading it like a legal document. You've got to stop reading it like a series of linear arguments that if I just figure out this and this and this, I can punch in A, B, C, and that's going to equal D for me. You, you've got to remember that it was written by people to people. And he says um, that the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you and that that will be sustained until the end. And those two words, confirm, sustain, same word, same word. Um, the New Testament was written in Greek. We translated it into English so that we can, we can read it. Uh, but in the Greek, same word. And here's why that's so important. Is that he's saying that your communal testimony about Christ it will be sustained by Christ to the end. And listen, Corinth, I know you've got your problems. Like, I know you've got your problems. I am about nine seconds away from taking a deep dive right into them. I get that you've got your problems, Corinth. I get it. But in Christ, you will be sustained by Christ to the end, irrespective of your problems, irrespective of your dysfunction. Why? Because of your morality? No, because of your money? No, because God is faithful. That's why. Guiltless to the end because God is faithful and he has faithfully called you into a koinonia of fellowship relationship with his son. You have been called into a relationship with his son and because of that relationship, that union with his son, you will be sustained to the end. And I suspect that as we take the rest of this year and we we go through this letter, some of us are going to see our own personal problems in the people of Corinth. And what we're going to need in that day is to be able to look in the rearview mirror and see this little introduction by Paul where he says, hey, listen, I, I know you've got your problems. I, got, I know you've got your problems. I, I know you're not perfect. I, I get it. But listen, in Christ, you will be sustained to the end. Why? Because I am faithful, so you're not will be faithful to you. I'll be faithful. So in this letter on community formation, he begins with where it comes from in Christ and it is sustained in Christ to the end. And now, now he's going to get to the heart of the problem and what's destroying the community in Corinth. Verse 10, I appeal to you. I appeal to you. Feel what Paul is writing. Like, put yourself in his shoes. Feel what he's saying. Like, don't, this is not, um, uh, hey, Tim, I'm not talking, if there's Tim in here, I'm not speaking to you. Um, hey, Tim, uh, you ought to do, like, it's not depersonal, it's I appeal to you. And say, Tim, Tim, please, Tim, I appeal to you, brothers, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. 
Here is the central theme and the presenting problem of the letter. Central theme that this letter is a call of the church to unity and everything that's going to go and flow out from here is going to be in pursuit of being a united community because a community formed in Christ is a community united in Christ. But that's a theme because there's a presenting problem. Key phrase, presenting problem. And that presenting problem is division. You guys know what I mean when I say presenting problem? Uh, like there's deeper issues and that those deeper issues manifest in a presenting problem. So what is the kind of division that we're talking about here? Verse 12 what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, that was Peter, or I follow Christ. Now, Paul, Apollos, uh, Cephas, Cephas, Peter, uh, these, were, uh, they, these were first century preachers, if you will. And so let me, let me walk through these three names and say, uh, and kind of explain the camp that these people are in. So, uh, Paul, uh, Paul was the planter of the church. And some are going, hey, man, I miss Paul. I want, I want Paul back. Paul had moved on by this point. He's writing this letter back to them. Uh, and some are saying, man, I don't want your letter. I want you, Paul. I want you back here. Like, I don't want this guy. I want you. And then there was Apollos. Apollos had been sent to the church. He was um, this educated, eloquent speaker. Wonderful oratory skill. And some saying, no, 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 that's my guy. Nah, I don't want Paul. I want that guy. And then Cephas, Peter, he had never been there, but he had a reputation. And so if we could think of Peter this way, this was the first century version of a guy with a massive podcast and a huge social media following. And some are going, no, that's the guy I want. I don't want Paul, I don't want Apollos, I want that guy. Like, wouldn't it be great if we had that guy? Like, our church would be huge, be massive. Someone in Paul, someone in Apollos, someone in Cephas. Five years had gone, five years in, this little community in Corinth, five years in, and here's what had happened. Here's where we're going to start getting to the deeper issue underneath the presenting problem. They had gone from grateful recipients of grace to spiritual consumers who want what they want when they want it. Division was the presenting issue. But the deeper issue was that this community had been more formed by Corinth than they had by Christ. The deeper issue sitting underneath this letter that presents itself with division is this was a community more formed by Corinth than by Christ and Corinth was this consumeristic, competitive culture that had a high value on rhetorical skill, which is why their consumerism centered on preachers. Stephen, um, wonderful uh, pastor up in the Boston area, brilliant theologian. I listened to him teach, and I just think, man, if I could just think like that guy, just for a minute, like for 10 minutes, if I could just, he said, so he said, note that these are not theological divisions. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, all preach the same gospel. They have divided themselves along stylistic and rhetorical lines, i.e., who, who was the most eloquent, who was the most impressive, who had the most pizzazz. Despite Paul's teaching regarding security 
of identity in Christ. The Corinthians were trying to find their identity in union with a preacher. This was the first century version of, I'm going to change churches because I like the preaching over here better. Or, um, man, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if our preacher was a bit more like this guy? Or, man, I just love our pastor's preaching. It's so much better than that guy. Why is it so important for Paul to begin a letter zeroing in on this in particular presenting issue? Because overemphasis on identification with a particular man, overemphasis on identification with a particular man deforms the community that is meant to be formed to one man, Christ. When we are over uh, identified with a particular man. It deforms the community that's meant to be formed in Christ by Christ. So why is Christ on that list? Uh, why, why did he include Christ? I follow Paul, Cephas, Apollos, Christ. Uh, I, I don't know for sure. Uh, there were six or seven different options given by commentators. I wasn't confident enough in any of them to really present them as uh, what I think, but here's what I do know. Here's what I do know for sure. When we elevate men to a place that they don't belong, we then lower Christ to a place he doesn't belong. Every single time. That's true in churches, it's true in our marriages, it's true in our friendships. When we elevate people to a place they don't belong, we lower Christ to a place he doesn't belong. That we do know. And the truth is that this problem it's not just a Corinthian problem. This is a Western, modern, if I could say, sojourn problem as well. So where do we go from here? We go where Paul goes and we ask the same questions that Paul asks. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? Is he divided? I find this to be an interesting and searching question. Is Christ divided? Because the present tense answer is no. No, he's not. But the past tense answer is yes, he was. He was. On the cross, his flesh was torn in two. On the cross, he was divided from his father so that you and I might be united in his death and in his resurrection so that we might have an undivided allegiance to him. On the cross, he experienced division that we might experience union. And in our union, we might be a united community in him. This is why he keeps going. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. When it says baptized in the name of Paul, were you baptized in the name of Paul? It's literally into, you're baptized into the name of Paul, were you? Were you, were you baptized into my name? No, you were baptized in the name of one who saves, and you know what, it's not mine. Saying, listen, I'm not the one who saves. Like, I, I came and I preached and proclaimed, and we're going to get to um, what that looked like in a few chapters. But, but right now, what you need to know, Corinth, is, listen, I'm not the one who saves. I don't want your allegiance. I don't want it. 
I came to preach Christ crucified, resurrected, reigning, ruling that you might have the allegiances of your life summed up in him. I don't want it. Why not? I've already hinted at it. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I came to preach the gospel. I came to proclaim the gospel. What is the gospel? I I think that if we're going to understand this letter and we're going to understand where Paul begins, we need to know what the gospel is, and so we probably ought to let Paul define it for us. In chapter 15, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers. He comes back to brothers. Hey, family, I remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For, and here it is, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Was Paul crucified for you? No. No, I wasn't. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, the gospel that I preached. It's meant to create allegiance to Christ and to Christ alone. And this gospel comes with power. Power. Power to do what? We should probably let Paul answer that as well. Verse 6. Chapter 15, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, this is Paul writing about himself, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. The power to do what? The power to take an enemy and make him a brother. If you're unfamiliar with the story of Paul, the life of Paul, at one point he was a murderer. He'd walk into rooms like this, round us up, and take us to our death. And one day, walking to a place like this to round up people like us, Jesus just shows up on the scene in an unexpected, pretty radical way and reroutes his life eternally. And if we could put ourselves in the shoes of Paul, in the shoes of Paul as he wrote this letter, as we go through this letter, imagine him sitting there hearing about what's going on in this church that he began by preaching this powerful gospel that could take enemies and make him a brother. Feel what he must have felt as he was penning the words. Brothers, I appeal to you. I appeal to you. Listen, I I promise. If the gospel is powerful enough to take my broken, wretched story and unite me to his, the gospel is powerful enough to take your current broken story and unite it to one another. It has the power to heal even your divisions has the power to make you more like Christ and less like Corinth. It has the power to do this. You're dysfunctional, Corinth, but you're not unredeemable, 
Those are not the same thing. I think that might be a helpful thing for us to know. Some of us are looking at our own lives and what we think is, is unredeemable is really just dysfunction that needs to be healed. It might be dysfunctional, but you're not unredeemable. That's the power to sustain you to the end, to form you as a flourishing community in Christ. And listen, there is no such thing as a perfect community, a perfect church. You will not find it. If you've been around here for more than an hour, you know we're not it either. But communities in Christ, being formed by Christ, they've got stories to tell, don't they? Stories of hope and healing, stories of mercy, stories of the hurting, experiencing Jesus' healing through his people. And so we are going to take most of 2018 and we are going to take a deep dive into the book of 1 Corinthians and we are going to listen and learn to be washed by Paul's teaching on what it means to be a community formed in Christ. Why? Why? So that you and I together as a community might look more and more like Christ, less and less like Houston. Why? So that you and I, a community in Christ, we might have more and more stories to tell, more stories of God's grace, of God's mercy, of his redeeming power to take what is most broken and heal it. Let's pray. Father, you... you, you um, you sent your son into the world who would, according to the scriptures, live and die and be resurrected. Your son who will return one day. And you have today, in this in-between, the resurrection and his return, you have united us to your son. Father, I pray that we, as we go through this book of Corinthians together, that our, our community here at Sojourn Heights that we would look less like Houston, more like Corinth, less like America. That's not what I meant to pray, Lord. More like Christ. Less like America, more like Christ. That because of your powerful gospel, our community might have more stories, more stories of your healing, redeeming power. We ask for it in Christ's name. Amen.